Hey y'all, welcome. My name is Simon Stokes. If I met you, I'd love to meet you at some point and get a chance to sit down with you and what's going on in your life and talk and just really get a chance to speak into your life and know you in whatever way we can know one another. Um, as way of introduction are you of, I think sometimes there's a sense in academic environments where the professor says, you know, here's some stuff that's been kind of helpful to me. Uh, take it as you will and maybe it'll be helpful for you. And that's not our approach here. Uh, we want you to be transformed by the love of Jesus. And having a nice life is not enough for you. But we want you to be transformed by Jesus' love and by his truth. That we think these things are actually important. And it's not just things that have kind of helped us along the way, but they're things that have transformed our lives. And so we want one another and we want this campus to be transformed by the love and the truth of Jesus. And that's why we do things like sing hymns and open up the Bible and talk about it and read it and pray together because we think this is transformative and we hope that you join us in that. Um, this week, this uh, semester, we are going through the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, and just talking about how God saves people, transforms people, delivers people from sin and evil. And so uh, I'll read it to us uh, right now, Exodus chapter 7, where we're in, and uh, we'll pray and dive into this. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment." The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and he became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, your word is good. It's true. It changes our lives because we, we know you through it. And we pray that we would know you tonight through your word and by your spirit. That we would know your son Jesus and that he would transform our lives by your word. Um, be with us tonight, Lord. Change us, mold us, shape us, comfort us in the part of our hearts that's broken. Heal us in the part of our hearts that's sick. Feed us in the part of our hearts that's hungry. Give us life in the part of our hearts that's dead. Be to us all that we need, real food and real drink for people in a weary land. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, some of y'all know this, some of you don't, uh, but for the last couple of years, uh, in the summers, I've been able to go to Camp Greystone, the place we're going for fall conference this week, and me and Katie and our girls have been able to live there for the month of June, and I've been the pastor there. And I never, when I was in seminary, never thought to myself I would be doing uh, ministry with middle school girls, but I love it. It's super fun. <laughs> And they're, they're asked really amazing questions, and they're super cute, and it's just, it's a, really, it's a really great time. But not only am I doing ministry with them, but I'm also getting to know some of the staff. And this year, I got to sit down with a guy who 
uh, was on the men's staff, which is just, that's the part of the staff that just does all the work that no one else wants to do. It's, it's miserable. Um, <laughs> but he'd come because his, he had an older brother, and his older brother had been part of the men's staff several years before, and he'd come to Camp Greystone on the men's staff, and he'd not been a Christian. And he had gotten to know some Christians and got to hear the gospel, and he'd actually become a Christian, and it had transformed his life. So they had joy, he had hope, he had meaning. He was, I mean, he was really a new person, according to the guy that I was talking to. And this guy, as I got to know him, he told me a story. It was that he had gone to a big state school, had not known why he was there, really, other than his parents kind of made him go. And he partied really hard, and he punted all of his friends from high school who were there with him, and he was really lonely, and he just dropped out of school. And he was at Camp Greystone because he wanted to find what his brother had found. He wanted to see if he could become a Christian. And we're sitting there and we're talking on the porch that overlooks the lake one day. And he, he's just asking me, he's like, man, I love what you're saying about this stuff. But I'm like, I'm like a modern person. And there's like some weird stuff in the Bible. And there, like, like there's people throwing down staffs and they're becoming snakes. <laughs> But we live in like 2017 America, and that's, that's, not, that's not something that I can buy into. And at the same time as he's saying that, he's feeling incredibly haunted by God and pulled by God and wondering, you know, if there's someone behind the curtain, I'd like to know who that person is. And if God is real, then yeah, I guess he could do these kinds of things, but feeling pulled between those two things. Do you all ever feel that? Where it's like, we live in a time and a place where people feel haunted by God. Some of you feel that way right now. It's why you're here, because you feel haunted by God and you want to know if there's someone behind the curtain pulling the levers, I'd like to see that person. I'd like to know that person. It's like you've said to yourself that there's this lurking sense of something out there and you're not sure you believe in him, but you, maybe you miss him. And lots of people have felt that way. The philosopher Plato, back in the day, said that life was like watching shadows on a cave. And you couldn't really see who was making the shadows, but you knew it was somebody out there. He felt haunted. Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, PayPal, SpaceX, like major entrepreneur right now, he has this sneaking suspicion that we live, and I'm not, I'm not making this up, that we live in a video game created by aliens and he's using his wealth to hire scientists to figure out if we live in this video game, and if so, how does he get out? For real. I mean, this is really what he's doing. Because he feels haunted. You know, lots of people right now feel very haunted by God. And we want to know, if there's someone behind the curtain, how do we know that person? And what I want to suggest to you, and I know that you're a modern person, who doesn't believe that people you know, throw down staffs and they become serpents and things like that, but I want to suggest to you that even as you're sitting here as a modern person, that the way to know that God is to know his word and to listen to his word and to hear it. And so now I've got three points. That God's word is given to you, that God's word is greater than you, and that God's word is for you. God's word's given to you, is greater than you, and is for you. So let's look at this. First of all, look at the start of this story God tells Moses to tell Aaron, to tell Pharaoh, everything that God tells him, which is essentially let my people go. 
And so the first thing you see is the way to know God is through this word that's coming down from him, that's mediated through other people. Okay, but Simon, how could something as important as knowing God be left up to me being able to read an old book? Like, how is that the case? Like, if God really wanted me to know him, wouldn't he write, like, big letters in the sky? Or had this kind of booming voice going on all the time? Like, surely he could do that, right? I had, a, I think, a pretty good run-in with this a few years ago. Um, Bart Ehrman, I don't know if you know who that is, UNC professor, religion studies here. Uh, he opens up his last class of every semester to anybody who wants to come in and ask questions and had some students who were taking that class, and I thought, like, it'd be fun to go in there and just hear the questions that y'all ask him and just kind of sit and kind of be a fly on the wall. And so someone raises their hands, I'm assuming it was a Christian guy, and he's, like, trying to catch Aramon in this kind of logical fallibility of, like, you know, you say there's no truth, but that's a claim at truth, and so you're cutting the legs out from underneath you, and, you know, gotcha, Bart. And... (laughs) And Bart Ehrman has taught this class for like 30 years, so he's, he's heard that question before. And he sidesteps it by saying this. He says, I'm not saying there isn't any truth out there. I'm just saying I don't have access to it. Do you hear the difference there? It's not that there's no truth. It's that I don't have access to it. And so, you know, I'm going to muddle my way best I can through life and just see what happens. I can't know. And this is so representative of the way that People in modern society deal with kind of ultimate claims of truth from religious texts, right? Like the Bible. Like, modern society feels caught between kind of two poles of authority. On the one hand, incredibly, incredibly suspicious of religious claims to objective truth. Like, it seems uh, superstitious. It seems impossible to prove because it's history, right? It's divisive. Like, doesn't religion lead to more problems than it solves? Uh, It's tools of oppression, Like, if I believe in the Bible, suddenly I've punted my mind, and my next step is to go live in a bunker with Richard Wayne, Gary Wayne, right? Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, (laughs) It's pop culture. You get it. (laughs) But on the other hand, modern society feels on the other side of this that I cannot make decisions about, you know, when or when not to go to war, uh, who or who should not get married, uh, when or when not to cut down trees or save a forest. Like, I cannot make those decisions, or even what what is taught or not taught in school, without some sort of claim on some sort of objective truth about what really matters, whether it's human rights or some religious text or what. But there's these two kind of poles of authority that people are caught in, and we feel stuck. Because every decision we make is based on some other claim on authority that's higher than us. Whether that's in a text or it's not, it's inside of us. But just because you're not in a church and there's not a guy in a robe doesn't mean those things aren't in play. So science is great at telling us the shape of a water molecule, but it can never answer bigger questions about love, why you want it so badly, why you feel so empty when you don't have it, and how you have this deep sense that it's got to be more than this chemical thing in my brain. It's got to really matter. Or that there's no single subject that you could ever master in your lifetime. Like there are teams of scientists who are way smarter than all of us, who have millions of dollars in funding, who are trying to tackle the problem of cancer, which is a, a relatively common thing, and they don't have all the answers to it yet. 
And they've been doing this for decades. And that's one sliver of reality that all these people can't figure out. And whoever made that reality has to be even more complicated than all the little slivers that you and I can never figure out or get to the bottom of. Right? And yet if we know that person, they've got to be really complicated and really hard. Look, in order to know that person, he has to reveal himself. And the way that he reveals himself is through his word. And he's speaking that word here through Moses and Aaron, and he's acting through that word so to be known, right? So he says, The people of Egypt will know that I'm God when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. They will know God because they'll act through his word. And that's exactly why RUF opens up the Bible each week in large group or in small groups. Because the way to know God is not through worship or feelings. Those are great ways to respond to God. And the way to know God is not through taking a bunch of different religious ideas and kind of cobbling them together into you know, what you think God might be like. But the way to actually know God is through his word. And so we read it. We teach it. We try to live by it because we don't just want to know about God, but we want to know God himself. And what happens when Moses and Aaron start to speak God's word? Pharaoh says, prove it. Do some stuff. And so Aaron throws down his staff. It becomes a snake, probably a cobra. Think, I'm just assuming there. It just seems like a cooler snake. <laughs> this is why I think this is the case. Uh, think about what God is saying here through this sign. Snakes are terrifying. If you've ever seen one in the wild, like walking you know, in the Eno one day maybe, uh, with us on a, a trip on camping, it'll scare you. Uh, but... The snake in Egypt has special significance. What's on Pharaoh's crown? It's a snake, right? It's the national god of Egypt. It's like the ram for UNC. It's on everything. It's everywhere. Except the ram is much, much fluffier than a snake. Uh, <laughs> if you want to take a step back and think about the overall story of the Bible, a snake is the one that tempts Adam and Eve in the garden, right? It's this ultimate enemy of God's people. And when Aaron throws down a staff, it becomes a snake and he grabs it. He's showing that God has authority over everything and everyone, especially evil. Especially national powers like Egypt. Especially the sort of evil that those things use that enslave people. And that might be the sort of slavery where you're building monuments. Or that might be the sort of slavery where pornography has warped your view of yourself and your body and your relationships and the people around you, and you can't not think about it or act on it or dwell in it or swim in it, that that's a form of slavery too. Evil always brings slavery, and God wants his people free. And so what you need to see in this is that God is powerful over evil. He wants you free from evil. And for Aaron to do this with this snake is like a shot across the bow of Pharaoh and Egypt. It's like if you're a Panthers fan and you went to a Falcons game and you made like deep fried falcon wings. Like you're saying, I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) My team is going to win this thing, right? And this is where God's word really starts to push on Pharaoh. Because if Pharaoh listens to what God is saying here, he's going to lose. Eventually he's going to win, like God's going to put him back together. But if he listens to him now, he's going to lose, and it's going to feel like losing. He's going to lose power because these 80-year-old dudes have showed up and shown that they're more powerful than Pharaoh. He's going to lose popularity because people aren't going to like that he's letting all this free labor go. 
He's going to lose pleasure because he's going to have to start paying people to work for him, so he won't be able to afford as much nice stuff as he had. Okay, power, popularity, and pleasure, and having those things on our terms in the ways that we want them, for people like us, that's, that's the deal, right? That's what we want most. Maybe some of our struggles with listening to God's word has less to do with not knowing what God says, has more to do with us not really wanting to listen to what God has to say. I mean, suppose you came here from like a small town like Greenville or Black Mountain or somewhere like that, and you, were, you lived in that small town, you did small town things, and you came here, and it's like, man, the world has opened up. And you start to really climb the ladder of your sorority, or you start to really like make it in the English department, or you start to like conquer uh, the student government scene and just like take it on, like do the Carolina thing. And there's this chance for you suddenly to leave the small town stuff behind and become a big deal, very popular or very powerful here, or have the sort of fun you'd always wanted and been hungry for. And all you have to do is push away what the Bible says and the people that say what the Bible says and believe that Bible and just punt on it. That's all it would take. Or what if you got here... (laughs) Come up, Katie. (laughs) Or what if you got here and you'd never really dated before? And then someone starts to like you and you start to like them and things get kicked off and before you know it, you're dating and it's great. And one night that person looks over at you and they say, you know, I love you and you love me and it's not that big of a deal if we sleep together. It's not. And you know that to do that would give you all the things you wanted, like that you've been hungry for, like relationship, connection, a sense of belonging, a sense of being desired, pleasure. And yet to do that, you'd have to punt on what you know God's Word says. And it's not that you don't know it, it's that you don't want to know it. Isn't that Pharaoh's problem too? That he's hearing God's word and he's seeing these signs and his heart is still hardened because God's word crosses his will. And the warning here is that anyone's heart could be hard. Anyone's heart could be hard to what God has to say. But God's word is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to listen to me. I want to heal you and make you whole. Like If Pharaoh listens to what God has to say here and he lets the people go, then he divest himself of evil and becomes more of a whole person. There's an opportunity for him to be healed. But his heart is hard. Look, my assumption here is that when any of us walk through the doors up there, that on some level, what you're interested in is finding that person behind the curtain and having some sort of love relationship with them, right? Like, who is that person? I want to know them. If they're really as loving as people talk about, I'd like to get involved in that, Right? Like, don't you want a love relationship with God? I do. Well, think about it like this. If you were in a dating relationship and the person you were dating never got to speak into your life and they never got to say where you're going to eat on Friday night and they never got to push on you when you were obnoxious or loud or rude and they were just kind of there to, as window dressing, like, is that a real dating relationship? Like, if you were married to that sort of person... Like, would it be a real marriage? 
Like, no, I don't think so, right? Here's my question for you. If God is real, how is he going to push on your life? If you really have a relationship with God, how is he going to speak into your life when you're obnoxious and rude and not loving and you hurt the people in your life? How does he contradict you? Through the Bible, right? Through his word. Look, the story that started in the garden continues to the present day, and it's not that God is hiding. It's that we hide. Think about it like this. You and I hate, we hate when other sinful people contradict us, right? Like when someone who's your friend points out that white lie that you told, and you're like, ah, that really didn't happen. That story you're telling right now, it's not true. (laughs) You hate that. It's so embarrassing when it happens to a group of friends, right? (laughs) You feel exposed when someone puts their finger on that delicate part of you. A lot of our life is built around keeping people from finding that stuff out, right? But imagine the other person seeing you or putting their finger on you. It's not another sinful person like you are, but it's someone who's totally other. Like what if that person was true beauty dealing with the ugly part of our hearts? What if that person was true goodness dealing with the part of us that just likes bad? Pretty intimidating, right? Look, we want a real relationship with this God, but we're afraid of what that might mean for us. It's like saying, I really want to date this person over here, but I never want them to tell me no. I never want them to call me out or contradict me or cross my will. And that's not a real relationship. That's just saying, I want this kind of yes, dear sort of robot. And if you don't have an authoritative Bible, then God will always just be that way to you. You'll never have a real relationship with him. It's the way that we know him and that he deals with us. And it crosses our wills. It has to because if God is who he is and you're not God, then of course he's going to cross us at times. And it's good. I had a student here a few years ago. None of, I don't think any of you all know her at this point. Uh, but she came into RUF and she was here for a while and I got to know her some and she was... We were sitting down and having a conversation one day, and she was just very honest with me. She's like, Simon, I just want to say I love RUF. I love the community of RUF. I love the people in RUF. But, man, when I first, like, started coming to RUF, I hated the stuff you used to say. I hated it because it was like I was sitting there in large group, and you were talking and talking about the Bible. And it was like, you, like there was, like, these needles inside of me that were, like, poking me. Or like pricking me. And it was just uncomfortable. But as I sat there and listened to it, I came to really love it. I came to really like it because I realized that that was how God was dealing with me. That was what God was doing in my life. And it transformed her life. To sit where you're sitting and to listen to God's word taught and preached and applied. That it was uncomfortable. And it should be uncomfortable at times. Because God should cross our wills. But it was true and it was good. And it brought healing to her life in ways that she had never expected or thought. She had problems she didn't know about until God started to deal with them. And then she got healed from the problems that she didn't even know she had. And it was beautiful to watch and be a part of. So that's how God's word stands over us. How is God's word for us? Okay, think about this. Where are you in this story? When you read this, where are you? If you had to pick a person, who would you be here? Are you Aaron and Moses speaking truth to power? Are you Pharaoh who's just like resisting all the way? 
Let me suggest that the best way to think of yourself in this is this, is that you just get a kind of fly on the wall, like third person kind of viewpoint, but really you and I would be like the slaves in Egypt. That it's unthinkable that those people would escape from the power of Pharaoh apart from God's work. And just like that, it's unthinkable that we would escape from the power of sin apart from God's work through his word in our lives too. That it just has us in a stranglehold in the way that we feel, in the way that we love, and what we're willing to let speak into our lives. Like the fact that some of you are deeply offended by the Bible means it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's speaking truth to the part of us that's enslaved to just having our own way. Well, I don't need anything outside of myself to be free. I can free myself. That's really not going to happen. You need someone outside of you to free you from sin. You just love it too much. I love it too much. I need someone to come in and cross my will that loves the sin. Go back to that Airman lecture. Go back with me. Where he's saying, you know, all knowledge is subjective. I can't know ultimate reality. The best I can do is kind of muddle my way through life. Look, the purpose of Scripture actually answers the problem of, yeah, like I'm a limited, finite person. I don't have access to naked truth. I've got to deal with this stuff. I can't know everything. I can't know reality objectively. Okay, you've got me there. I'm a finite person too. I can only know things subjectively as well. But when Jesus says in John 14 that I am the way and the truth and the life, he is serious. That you and I can't know everything. We don't get to stand above reality and just kind of know everything on our own. But we can know the one who does. We, know, we can know Jesus. That Christianity starts with this understanding that all knowledge is personal and that so is ultimate reality. It's made itself known in the person of Jesus. That Jesus is always honest and he's loving. He's always bold without being harsh. He's self-sufficient but trusts himself entirely to God. He's the author of the world and he writes himself into the world's story. He's the genius behind the world's complexity and he's the heart behind the world's beauty. And he's God's word clothed in the flesh. In our skin, in our bones, in our mind, in our soul. He's God's final word on himself. Look, if your demand is that God thinks like you think, acts like you act, feels like you feel, then for all the right reasons, Jesus is just going to cross your will. He's going to push on you for good reasons. Look, there was a pastor who lived about 60 years ago, and he said that a lot of our problems come down to the fact that we listen to ourselves more than we talk to ourselves. Like, think about it like this. You listen to yourself when you're comparing yourself to one another on campus the way you look, and how good you're doing, like in school, and how moral you think you are. But you think yourself, and you speak to yourself, that I'm working harder than anyone here. I look better than anyone here. And you think, I'm the ish, and no one else here can even touch me. You do. I do. Sometimes. Not the beauty part. <laughs> but when you've got two kids, and you hang out with people who don't have kids, you can tell yourself some things. Um, <laughs> but you listen to yourself when, you, when you're doing well and it puffs you up. And then you listen to yourself when you don't perform well or you sin and you feel devastated and you think I'm awful and you can't look yourself in the mirror and you just want to fall apart. And it's this roller coaster ride. 
where you're going up and down, up and down, and you're just listening and listening and listening because your heart is just steeped in your own words. And I want to say that you shouldn't listen to yourself. Your heart is stupid. It doesn't know what it's talking about. But when you talk to yourself, you should talk to yourself with the words that Jesus uses. So that even when you're doing well, you can say to yourself, you know, even when I'm doing well, I'm an unprofitable servant. And my, God had to die for my prayer life and my Bible reading and for what I look like and for all the things I do and I don't do. God died for that, however good I think I'm doing. And when you're not doing well, to speak to yourself and say, you know, God died for me. And I've screwed up again. But Jesus loved me and he died for this sin too. Whether I feel that way or not, he died for me. You've got to stop listening to yourself. And you've got to start talking to yourself with God's word. And it's through God's word that he, he reveals himself. He makes us whole. And so I want to end with this. I heard a story on This American Life not too long ago. And it was, it was this. It was Ira Glass, who's kind of the dude behind This American Life, and he's interviewing David Blaine. Do you know who David Blaine is? Like the street magician dude? And they're watching this clip of David Blaine doing magic with celebrities, which is entertaining itself. So David Blaine watching David Blaine doing magic and commenting on it. And in the clip, David Blaine is sitting down with Ricky Gervais, who's this hilarious British uh, comedian, and he says, well, you know, Ricky, I'm going to show you this cool magic trick where it looks like you're taking this needle and you're going to, like, put it through your arm. But really, you know, it's two needles and I glue it here and I glue it here. And it looks, it looks like it's going through, but it's not really. And Ricky Gervais is like, cool, thanks for showing me that. That's neat. And then, I mean, really, that's what he says. <laughs> but then David Blaine takes out a real giant needle and he says, okay, but now I'm going to do this for real. And he takes this needle and he shoves it through his bicep. And Ricky Gervais is going nuts. Like, he's losing his mind. Profanity, profanity, profanity. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this is real. And it's really real. And Ira Glass just like stops the clip right there. And he's like, David. He's, I mean, he's interviewing. He's like, David, what's going through your head right now? And David is, says, you know, what I love about magic what I really love it is, is not the tricks and the illusions. Like, those are neat. Like, those are fun things. But what I really love is when I, think, I convince people that what I'm doing is a trick. And then what I do is the real thing. So he'll, like, really eat glass. Or he's got, like, this metal cup that he puts in his mouth, and he shoots a twenty-two caliber bullet into it and catches the bullet in his mouth. Or he froze himself one time in a block of ice, like for reals. And, or he shoves like a needle through his arm, you know? And he says, he says he loves this stuff because when you do that trick with that person, and it's not actually a trick, but it's the real thing, that when you see their astonishment, when you see their wonder, when you see like the whoa, like moment, like you get a glimpse of the real them. Like the naked self there. And what he loved is that when he, he's doing that real thing where he's shoving something through his arm or eating glass, 
that he sees the real person there, but they're also seeing the real David. Like he's seeing the vulnerable person and they're seeing the vulnerable him. And there's this moment of real human connection. You know, when God took his word and put it in the flesh and put it on the cross, you see the real vulnerable God. A naked peasant man dying on a cross. You see God's severity against sin. Like how crazy it is that God hates sin so much that he will take it into himself and die for it. And you see God's love. How beautiful it is that God loves sinners so much that he will stand on a cross and die for them. And you get this naked, vulnerable God. And when you see that in God's word, and you really see it, and you let that speak into your heart, God approaches you, and He sees the real, naked, vulnerable you. That you that wants to connect so badly with other people, and be known by other people, and be loved in your heart of hearts. That wants to scream and shout, and really be able to be known when you're weird, or wild, or crazy. He sees that, and you connect. And unless you have an authoritative word that gets to speak into your pride, into your shame, into your dignity and your depravity, you just can't know that God. You've got to let Him in. You've got to listen to Him. You've got to let Him change you and speak to you and deal with you. Because that's the relationship you want. And it's scary and it's hard and it's beautiful. And it's transformative. It's all we have to offer. It's always our invitation. Let's pray. Father, you love sinners so much that you would die for us. You would make us whole. You'd make us new through your Son on the cross, through your Word made flesh and bone. Lord, help us to know you in that Word. Help us to listen to your Word, to walk according to your Word. Not to make up a God in our head from all these other thoughts that we have but to look in your word and see who you really and truly are. They would know you would encounter you, be changed by you because of your good and holy word. Would you do that for us because of Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen.